When I told you at the beginning that if it looked like we didn't know what we were doing, it's because we didn't. I wasn't kidding. But uh, I am so thankful for what God is doing. I'm so thankful for the celebration of baptism for Braden and just having a young man come forward and say, I'm not ashamed. And then um, Kenny, the, the old dog, um, coming forward as, as well. Just so thankful um, for that. And then, of course, I'm so thankful to be able to come to the Word together with, with you. And if you have your Bibles, if you can open with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And last week we began a series that has us diving into our newly revised mission statement. As I said last week, though, just barely revised. And the reason we are taking this journey again together is because I believe it's vitally important that we know as a church what our purpose is. I think it's important that we understand the direction that God is leading our faith family, but I think it even goes further than that, way further than that. We need, we need a mission statement that doesn't just tell us where we're going. I believe we need a mission statement that will tell us how we're going to get there. So not just where we're going, how we're going to get there. I love what Eric Geiger says. He says, he says imagine a church where members can all articulate how someone moves from being a new Christian to become a mature follower of Christ. So last week we introduced our, our newly revised mission statement that sounded a whole lot like our old mission statement, but it, it is that we exist, the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way exists, to glorify God by making disciples who will serve the world. So if we were to ask, you know, what is expected of me on an average week, we would say it, join us together in the glorifying of God together. Join us in corporate worship then be a part of the disciple-making process. Be a part of being discipled or discipling someone. And then be a part of somehow, someway serving, serving the Lord, either through the church or, or in the world, serve. And, and it's kind of what we were praying that things w- would look like. And last week we focused on the existence of the church and the importance of all of us understanding what it is that we're a part of when we think about the church. And for anyone that might be here this morning, I think this is very you know, very careful, and I want to be very careful how I approach this, but if there's anyone that's here this morning, and maybe your thought is that you know, it's good to be here, but I really don't need to be here. Um, you know, I, the church isn't that important. I, I would ask you to listen to the words of, of Charles Spurgeon. I'm going to put just a few of the words on the screen, and I'm going to read the rest on my own, but it's, he says this, I believe that every Christian ought to be joined to some visible church. That is his plain duty, according to the scriptures. God's people are not dogs, else they might go about one by one. But they are sheep, and therefore they should be in flocks. Then he says, I know that there are some who say, Well, I have given myself to the Lord, but I do not intend to give myself to any church. To which he says, Why not? He says, They would answer, Because I can be a Christian without it. To which he says, Now are you quite clear upon that? Suppose all Christians in the world said, I shall not join the church. Why, there would be no visible church. There would be no ordinances. That would be a very bad thing. And yet what is right for one is right for all. Why should not all of us do it? That you believe that if you were to do an act which has a tendency to destroy the visible church, you would be as good a Christian as if you did your best to build up that church I do not believe that, sir, nor do you either. Just think about that reality of if what's good for one is good for all, then what we are saying is then 
if we don't need to be devoted to the church, then what will that lead to? It will lead to no visible picture of, of Christ in the world. It will lead to no celebration of baptisms, no celebration of, of communions. I've heard of people doing church in homes, but what I don't hear from many of them is I don't hear them talking about baptisms or about accountability or about communion and something that we're able to celebrate together. So this morning, I think we need to see the importance of the church and we need to give ourselves to the mission of the church. And so this morning, we're going to look at what it means for us to glorify God and how this specifically plays out in our worship gatherings. Let me say, yes, our lives should be consumed in worship. That is true. Our lives should be consumed in that. Yet, the Bible shows us the importance of God's people coming together for the purpose of, of corporate worship, for the purpose of us gathering together. And let me just say from the beginning, there are a lot of things that, that will come to your mind and that will come to my mind when we hear the word worship. And let me also say this. Most of the things that come to your mind and my mind when we think about worship is not biblical. We're not, we're not fighting. Many times when we talk about worship, we're not fighting for what's biblical. We're fighting for what we like. And so the reality is we're going to look today at worship not through the lens of your preferences or my preferences. We're going to look at worship today through the lens of Scripture. And I believe with all my heart when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter what we think. It matters what the Word of God says. It matters what God's word says. And, and we might not like that. I figured we'd get more amens than that. But the, the, the point of it is, listen, it doesn't matter. Your, your opinion, my opinion, doesn't matter when it comes to what the word of God declares. So this morning, we're going to focus on a heavenly scene that I pray will allow us to see the internal importance and what should be the goal of our earthly gatherings and our earthly Worship And let me, let me carefully say this. You and me, we, we are often good at worshiping ourselves. We are often good at worshiping others in the world that we live in. We are often good at worshiping our families, our jobs, our sports teams, our bank accounts, our possessions. We're often good at worshiping those things, yet... We aren't always good at worshiping God. Just think about that. We're good at worshiping a lot of things, but we're not always good at worshiping God. We're not always good at ascribing to Him what He alone is worthy of, which is praise. Our praise, our, our utmost praise. Therefore, in light of Scripture today, let us look to the throne of God and let us get an amazing picture of the eternal, the heavenly, the glorious worship of God that is going on even now in the scripture tells us will go on forever. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word. I know you're feeling mighty Catholic today. We stood up and sat down a whole lot. And after this, I'll let you sit down for a little bit longer. But Revelation chapter 19, we're going to read verses 1 through 10 together. And just do me this. When you get there, let me hear you say... Verse 1, it says this. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who's corrupted, who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever 
and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray together. Father, we come to this, your word. And God, truly, when all is said and done, Lord, your word says that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are higher than our ways. Therefore, in light of that, God, our opinions don't matter. For our opinions can't ever reach to where your opinion is. Our thoughts can never reach to where your thoughts are. We can't go that high. So today, God, we want to see what worship is through your word, God, as you have revealed it. And we want to give ourselves to that. So that you may be most glorified, O oh God, in and through your people. Help us to see that we exist as a people, as a church, we exist to glorify you. And help us to do that, God, by the best of our ability, God, with your, your strengthening and your empowering of us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So when I think about Revelation 19, there is, there is one word in this chapter that appears nowhere else in the New Testament. So think about this. One word in this chapter that appears nowhere else in the New Testament that we would think would be there, and that word is the word hallelujah. It means praise the Lord. Think about this. The first time in all of the New Testament that the word hallelujah appears is in Revelation chapter 19. 256 chapters go by with no hallelujah. 7,874 verses go by with no hallelujah. And then all of a sudden, when we get to this picture of what the end is going to look like, here we see breaking forth hallelujahs. Praise the Lord. And here's what we have to understand. The goal for which everything is headed, the goal for which your life and my life and the life of the world is headed is the praise of God. Everything is headed there. Everything is headed towards the praise of God. God will cause history to end in his praise. Let me say it again. God will cause history itself to end in his praise. And the two words that will resonate then and the two words that should resonate now are the words that we see in verse 10. Worship God. They will resonate forever. And they should resonate now within us. For we, you and I, brothers and sisters, we exist to reassert God's rightful place in this world. That's why we exist. 
And this morning, in light of this amazing picture that we see of heavenly worship, I want to unpack together four truths that show us very clearly what Christian worship is and really what Christian worship isn't. So just follow with me as we unpack these four truths together. So the first is this. Christian worship is God-centered. Christian worship is God-centered. Let me make sure we know what that means or what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean or it really means that it's not about us. It's not centered on you or me. It's not centered about my preferences, what I want, what I need, what I have to have. Christian worship is centered on God. He is the center of it. Some 50 years ago, A.W. Tozer was asked about contemporary trends in the church and what he thought would awaken the church from its complacency. And listen to what he said some 50 years ago. He said, in my opinion, the greatest single need of the moment is that light-hearted, superficial Christians be struck down with a vision of God high and lifted up. Listen to what he's saying. What Christians need is to see God. What we need is to see God high and lifted up, the train of his robe filling the temple with glory. And then he says this, the holy art of worship seems to have passed away. And as a result, we are left to our own devices and we are forced to make up for the lack of worship by bringing in countless cheap and tawdry activities to hold the attention of church people. Listen to what he says. Because worship doesn't exist, the church is forced to make this up as we go along and to make up things to entertain people. And just think about how true that is. We live in a day where there is mounting pressure on pastors like myself every single Sunday to try to figure out how to draw in the crowds and how to entertain the masses. There's pressure on pastors to do that. How are we going to get all of them to come in? How are we going to entertain them? And how are we going to keep them? And it's here that we need to realize that it's not necessary for us to bring in cheap and tawdry activities. It's here that we realize, and please hear this, God's greatness is enough to hold our attention. Let me say it again. God's greatness is enough to hold our attention. We don't have to look away from that. We look to Him. We can either create activities or we can point all of us, we can point each other to our Creator. We can point to the glorious one. And what Revelation does, Revelation 19 gives us this heavenly, eternal picture of worship. And get this, God is at the center of it all. So Revelation 19, a picture of heavenly worship, and God is at the center of it all. Just listen to what John writes in verses 1 and 5 and 6. He says, I heard the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. So God is at the center of worship in heaven, which begs the question, is God really at the center of our worship? Is God really at the center of what we're getting after? And scripture demands that he must be. For please hear this, God desires your worship and my worship. God desires our worship. He wants it. Everything that God has orchestrated from beginning to the end has been done or will be done to display the glory of God as his people glorify him. Or to put it in a different way, we gather as a people and we are here worshiping God because God desires 
to exalt himself. Let me say it again. God desires to exalt himself. And a lot of times, every time I say that, I know I can see in your faces, well, that just doesn't sound right. Why would God exalt himself? That sounds kind of self-centered and selfish. And the question, of course, is twofold. Number one, who else should God exalt? Should he exalt you? Should he exalt me? No. God understands who he is, therefore he exalts himself. But kind of follow with me here. Think of it like this. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing for us that the sun and not the earth is the center of the solar system. The sun is 30,000 times larger, bigger than the earth. If the earth were at the center, it would not have the gravitational ability to hold us all into place and hold the planets in orbit and we would all die. Therefore, if the sun was a person, the best and most loving thing the sun could do is to say, keep me at the center. Keep me in the middle. The, the most loving thing the sun could ever do would say, make sure I'm in the middle. Make sure I'm at the center of everything that you do. And so it is with us and with God. We're designed to live and we're designed to thrive when God is at the center of our lives. It's just the way God designed it. And the picture of Revelation 19, I love this, is that God's people, if you look at Revelation 18, I won't go into it, but if you look at it, God's people are coming out of the world system. And what God's people are saying is nothing can compare to God. We've been there and nothing compares to this. And not only does God desire our worship, hear this, God deserves our worship. He is deserving of every life. He's deserving of every breath in this room. Salvation belongs to him. Glory belongs to him. Power belongs to him. He will reign according to his word forever and ever and ever. Why would we not want to put God at the center of what we do? He, he reigns. He will reign forever. Why would we not want God to be at the center of this time? And let me say something I've said for many years, and I will, Lord willing, will say many years after this. I refuse to be a church whose philosophy is that we minimize God so that more people will relate to him. That is a, a picture of many churches around the world. They minimize God and they say, if we minimize God, if we make God seem simple, more people will come in and they'll be able to relate to God. It kind of blows my mind. But let me say this. I refuse to be that kind of church. Instead, I pray that we will be the kind of church that makes so much. We make so much of him that when lost people come in, they see us worshiping God and it leads them to fall on their knees and worshiping the one that we are worshiping. Yeah. Or to say it in a, in a different way, we, we are not going in any way whatsoever to, we're not going to minimize God in order to attract people. Instead, we're going we're gonna to magnify God. And as we do it, we believe that God, as we magnify him, he will draw people to himself. That's what we're about. We're not going to minimize God so that people will come in and say, that sounds good. I like that kind of God. No, we're going we're to magnify his name. And as we do so, he will draw people to himself. And we, we believe that. And that is what we're going to do. So let's, let's, let's keep this going. And let's just let's realize, please follow with me here. When we think about the world that we're living in, people aren't starving for better music People aren't starving for older music. People aren't starving to be entertained by, by pastors or people aren't starving for more artsy activities from the church. People are starving for the greatness of God, whether they even know it or not. And if they won't find it here, where in the world will they find it? 
People are starving for the greatness of God. They're starving for the glory of God. And if they can't find it in his church, then where in the world will they find it? Brothers and sisters, Christian worship is God-centered. He is the center of everything. and We keep him the center of our lives. Then secondly, Christian worship is word-driven. It's word-driven. We are a people of this book. We are a people who, who come to this book. We, we acknowledge this book. This is not words about God. This is the word of God. And we, we hold to it. And just think about what we hear in Revelation 19. It says, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for His judgments. That's a picture in Scripture of the Word of God. Are true and just. And He said to me, these are the true words of God. Also a description of the Word of God. Hold to the testimony. It's another word of the Word of God throughout Scripture. The testimony of Jesus Christ. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of Prophecy. Prophecy is another word that points us again to the word of God. So if the word of God is neglected during our worship services, think about this. Think about a worship service that we just don't give much thought to the word of God. I give, you know, I give one verse. I tell you everything that's going on in my life. I relate to you in all kind of different ways. And then we have an altar call and people flood down. Here's the question. What are they really responding to? What are they really responding to? And let me give you the answer. If God's word is not present among us, then all we're doing is responding to and worshiping ourselves. It's what we're doing. The word has to be central in our gatherings, and I pray that it is. For the beauty is when the word of God is put before us over and over and over again, get this church, we don't have to manufacture anything. We don't have to make up anything. We don't have to do anything. When the word of God is central here and the word of God is proclaimed, guess what? The word of God, through the spirit of God, will do the work. It will do the work. So we trust the word of God. We, we keep the word of God central among us. We're driven by the word of God. Let's just be crazy enough that if God tells us to do something, we do it. We say, God, you're God. I'm not going to argue with you because I know how that ends in Scripture, never good. So I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to do what you say. So Christian worship is word-driven. Third picture is this. Christian worship is mutually horizontal, which sounds really, really weird. And I hope I don't confuse you too much here. Because in one sense, in the greatest sense, worship is not about us. Worship is about God. Worship is to be vertical. It's about us and it's about God. It's about God revealing himself. It's about us getting after God, us passionately pursuing him. That is worship. Yet, when we meet together, as we're doing right now, when we, we meet together in this place, we need to come in and we need to look around. Now, that sounds weird, but let me just say this. There's a truth here that when we come together, we are participating in the worship of a God who has united us together by his spirit. We're participating as worshipers. And in participating, what we're doing is we're reminding, we're affirming, we're encouraging each other who God says he is. So in our time, what we're doing is we're encouraging each other. This is who God is. And this is the picture of heaven. Listen to what John writes in Revelation 19. I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. The 24 elders, which is a picture of the church, and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. 
Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. You know what we see in heaven? We see people participating in the worship of God. What we don't see in heaven is a bunch of individuals um, somehow standing around in a corner worshiping God on their own. No, in, in heaven is a picture of community. We're not a bunch of individuals. We're a community of believers who come together, hear this, to make much of Him. We're a community of believers who come together in order to make much of, of God. That is why we are here. That's why we have, have come together. When we gather together as a, as a faith family, we're doing this not individually. We're doing this collectively. We're doing this corporately. In our worship, we're not pretending like the person beside us isn't there. No, we... We know they're there, and they're there for a reason. Either, number one, they're there to worship along with us. So they're not there. I, I can assure you of this. God hasn't brought you to church and placed you beside somebody to keep you from worshiping him. That's not why they're there. So they're, they're not there so that you won't worship God. They're there, number one, so that you may participate with them in the worship of God. Or, secondly, they're there so that maybe they have never worshipped God. Maybe they're not worshippers of God, and they're there to see what true worship looks like. For God doesn't make any accidents here. You're not here by accident. You're here because of divine um, providence over your life. So we're not just pretending like the people around us don't exist. They're there, and they're there for a reason, either to participate with us in the worship of God or to watch us and see how glorious our God is. So we're participating together, and then as we're doing this, we're, we're edifying each other. You're going to like this. In his book, Stop Dating the Church, Fall in Love with the Family of God. Let me say this again. In his book, Stop Dating the Church, Fall in Love with the Family of God, Joshua Harris identifies seven ways that we can all edify our local church. So seven ways that you and I can edify our local church. Number one, join the church. Join it. Number two, make your local church a, a priority. So prioritize your local church. Number three, try to make your pastor's job a joy. I like that one. Let me say that again. Try to make your pastor's job. Let me tell you how you do that. I get people who come in a lot, and, and it's amazing to me, people who come and sit down, and they're really going through something, and they just want to know. I just want to know. I just want some direction. I want, I want to hear some, some biblical advice what's going on, and those people most, more times than not say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to be wasting your time, I'm sorry to be here, and it's like, no, this, this energizes me. When God's people, when you are seeking God, your pastor is energized. When I hear you seeking God, speaking of God, desiring God, wanting God, um, pursuing Him in every way, I am energized as your pastor. Now, when I have to have meeting after meeting of you complaining about this and that, that doesn't energize your pastor. Not at all. But point four, <laughs> find ways to serve. Find ways to serve in the church. Serve the Lord. And get this, what Psalm 100 says, serve the Lord with gladness. If God's called you to do something, I can assure you, God hasn't called you to do it to the worst of your ability. God hasn't called you to do it to the least. God hasn't called you to do it begrudgingly. God has called you to do it with gladness. We don't have to serve God. We get to serve God. 
We get to serve him, and therefore there's joy in getting to serve this God. Number five, we give to the church. Number six, we connect with people, living out the one another verses. And number seven, we share our passion for Christ and for his church together. Do we really realize what we're a part of? Do we really realize that we're a body of worshipers, worshiping this God? Christian worship is mutually horizontal. We are doing this together. And then the last truth is this. Christian worship is inevitably missional. Christian worship is missional, which is going to sound really weird in a lot of what I'm about to read. In the words of John Piper, he says this. I love this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Listen, there will come a day where there will be no more need for missions. There will come a day where missions will be over, but there will never come a day where we are not worshipers of God. Never will there be a day. But let me say this. Although worship is the ultimate goal, not missions, our worship will always be missional. Our worship is always supposed to be missional. For part of what we're doing is rejoicing in the salvation of God. Listen to what Revelation 19.1 says. It says, After this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah. And then what does it say? Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And part of our mission is to proclaim to a lost world all around us and as far as we can go that salvation and glory and power belong to God. Do we do that? Do we do that? Do we proclaim to the world salvation belongs to our God? And the beauty is this, that Worship is the fuel of our mission. As we worship God, it fuels the mission of God, which begs the question, are we running on empty? Are we running on empty or are we worshiping God? God is calling us above all else to be a people united and wanting to proclaim and wanting to share his greatness to the ends of the earth. As we say a lot around here, God is not just worthy of the praise of some people. God is worthy of the praise of who? All people. He is worthy of the praise of all people. And oh, that we could understand the reality that has taken place today, that is taking place, or that will take place. And what I mean by that is this. It's an amazing thought that what we are doing right now in worshiping the Lord is part of a global chorus of praise that was going on before we even woke up this morning. You know, in India, ten and a half half hours before us or more, they were getting after God this morning. In Africa, they were brothers and sisters, and and they were getting after God this morning. In a few hours, there will be people in California who will be, I know this might surprise you, but they'll be getting after God this morning. They'll be seeking after Him and getting after Him in, in that way. That's an awesome thought, and even more than that, that's an amazing privilege. We have the privilege of worshiping our God along with nations, along with people. And it, when you go on mission, you begin to realize who it is that you're worshiping with. It's a beautiful thing. You, you see these people in, in Ecuador and in India and in Toronto, where we're going, and we realize when we gather together, we're worshiping along with them, but not just them, the nations all 
over. That is who we're worshiping with. Therefore, will you join the the global chorus of brothers and sisters who are lifting high the name of the one who died for our sins? Will we join that? Or are there barriers to your worship? I heard someone this week say this. If you're worshiping from the wrong well, it doesn't matter what you bring up, it won't be joy. If you're worshiping from the wrong well, I I pray that we are not worshiping from the wrong well. I pray that we're worshiping God as he has commanded us to worship him. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know, I just, I'm, I'm too guilty to worship God. I would say this, to know that we're guilty And then to understand that we have been forgiven does something in us, something powerful in us that ignites God's purpose for us, which is worship. And it makes us, hear this, it makes us stand and place ourselves under the fountain of God's grace in a way that we have never done before. Are there barriers to your worship? Let me just speak today, maybe to that one person or two people or however many people that might be here and say, well, I've been coming here, but I just don't feel fed anymore. I don't feel this. I don't feel that. Let me just tell you, maybe, just maybe, what might be the issue. And I'm going to use someone else's word so I don't get in trouble. I'm serious. (laughs) Donald Whitney says this, and, and I agree. But he says, how is it possible to worship God publicly once each week when we do not worship Him privately through the week? Can we expect the flame of our worship of God to burn brightly in public on the Lord's day when they barely flicker for Him in the secret of other days? Isn't it because we do not worship well in private that our corporate worship experience often dissatisfies us? Maybe, just maybe, if there's a dissatisfaction going on within you, maybe, just maybe, it's not related to the church. Maybe, just maybe, it's related to your own heart. Maybe, just maybe, it's related to the way you're worshiping God in your private time. Maybe, just maybe, you're not seeking the Lord like you once did. You're not getting after Him like you once did. You're not placing yourself under the fountain of His grace like you once did. Maybe, just maybe. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward. And we're going to do something a little different. I know that's a bad word in church. But in just a second, instead of having a a time of just kind of standing there, we're going to have a time of action. And what we're about to do is enter into a time where we go right into communion, a time of action to celebrate this ordinance of Christ and what he's done for us. But as you stand here, I'm going to just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you are here this morning and maybe you walked in this room and the excuse over your life has been, I'm just guilty and I just don't see how God can forgive me. And I want to encourage you this morning that there's nothing that you could ever do or have done that is greater than God's grace over you. For my Bible says when sin increases, grace increases all the more. So maybe you're in here today and You were fighting that. And I would beg you to place yourself under the fountain of God's grace and receive his salvation. But maybe you're here today and maybe there are other barriers to your worship of God. I don't know what they are, but I believe the Spirit of God is is fleshing those out. 
And I pray that as he fleshes those out, that you will deal with those. Whatever it is that he's telling you to do. Maybe you're just here today and you just say, I, I don't want anything to keep me from worshiping God. I don't want people. I don't want preferences. I don't want my pain. I don't want circumstances. I don't want anything to keep me from worshiping God. Oh, that that would be our cry. That would be our cry each and every week and each and every day. In just a second, we are about to approach this, this table, the Lord's table. And we are told in Scripture not to do this lightly, not to do this casually. This is not a dead ritual that we participate in as a church. This is a time that we remember our living Savior who died for us and who is alive forevermore. Father, we come before you now. As we are about to enter into this time of, of communion. time that we are able to worship you God for what you have done for us God help all barriers in this moment to be broken down God if there's anyone in this room today who has never trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord may today be the day that they place themselves under the fountain God of your grace May today be the day, God, they cry out to you and ask you to forgive them of their sins, that they turn to you, Jesus is Savior and Lord of their lives. And your word says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, maybe there's others in this room today that, God, you have fleshed out barriers to their own worship of you. And maybe when it all, what it all boils down to is, is sin. God, today help them as you bring those things up, God, not to try to cover them again, but to confess those things before you, O oh God, knowing that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us, God, to choose in this moment to celebrate you like never before. That this is not, God, what we're about to do is not a dead ritual that we just do every so often, God. We are not celebrating a dead Savior. We are celebrating a living Savior who died for us and who is, according to your word, alive forever and ever and ever and who lives to intercede for us. We have a Savior worth celebrating. God, help us not to miss out. So forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our indifference. Forgive us, God, for putting our preferences over, God, you, your worth. Forgive us, God. Cleanse us, we pray. In Jesus' name. I'm going to go ahead and ask the, the deacon.